0: morning church. What a delight to be here this morning and to have to share this um, wonderful morning with you, um, worshiping the Lord, but also sharing uh, the word. Uh, I would like to thank the Lord for this wonderful opportunity, but also to thank Pastor Chris and uh, all the elders of uh, the church for uh, this much love and uh, trust that they have invested in me. And uh, I'd like to thank you all at church as well for having to tolerate me for the next uh, 45 minutes or so, as uh, I share with you i 'm so delighted to be here, and God loved me so much that He spared me for, from a last week cold and uh, he brought me here, so that's very encouraging. This morning, I want to take you back, uh, I mean uh, back to uh, uh, the Gospel and the Gospel of Matthew we're in the New Testament here, and um, very familiar scripture that you all know about and by the way, my apology for my half baked English I grew up in Congo and uh, went to school there, got married there, and then moved out moved out of there so uh, I'm still learning English. So, bear with me a little bit, um, and after 45 minutes, you'll have Pastor Chris back. So, uh, we are in the book of Matthew, that's in the New Testament, the last chapter. Matthew 28, Uh, we're going to... Pick it up from verse 16 down to 20. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of, Je- uh, of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. This morning, um, by the grace of God, I'd like to share with you from this scripture that is uh, so familiar to us and sometimes we get so uh, acquainted and familiar with scripture and we miss uh, the points uh, of what constitute the heart of um, the biblical message. And um, this morning I want to talk to you under the theme Christ the foundation of of the great commission. Christ the foundation of the great commission. Commission. The text we just read um, is narrated by, the, the, by Matthew and uh, what he's talking about happens after the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As you can see, Matthew is basically wrapping up his uh, uh, gospel and with this powerful statement from the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a decisive moment and teaching in the life and ministry of uh, our Lord Jesus Christ. All that Jesus had done and thought, thought was leading up to this moment. This is a crescendo. This is the highest. This is the Mount Everest. This is the point where uh, he wanted to get the disciples. Now it was clear that after three and a half years of walking with the disciples, this was where it he was headed. This is what he wanted them uh, to, to do and become. In a sense, it's a sort of a graduation ceremony. You know You've been with me three and a half years, and you've heard me, say things, teach. Perform miracles and do a lot of things. And all that was for this particular moment. And this is after his death and resurrection. And what is surprising as you read this text is the emphasis of Matthew. Because when you start reading Matthew... Right from the start, Matthew is shaping up, is setting the tone of his gospel. We've got four gospels, and every gospel has its emphasis and a message or a perspective that he's giving about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And Matthew, you know, starts with the genealogy of Jesus Christ: Jesus Christ, the Son of David and the son of Abraham. So meaning that Matthew is setting out to tell the Jews, his fellow Jews, that this guy that you guys killed was actually the long-awaited Messiah. And I want to prove it to you. And the way to do so, Matthew is uh, grabbing scriptures from the Old Testament and bringing them together and uh, talking about mixing them with uh, the life And the work of Jesus Christ. To prove a point. To prove that he is indeed. That is Jesus Christ. The king of Israel. He is the Messiah. In him all the promises. Of the Old Testament were fulfilled. Are fulfilled. And therefore you need to repent. And come back to him. But now. In the end, at this juncture, as it wraps up his gospel, Matthew is surprisingly putting emphasis on something that all along he hasn't been underscoring. And that is the kingship of Jesus Christ. The universal kingship of Jesus Christ. Because look, the text says this. Verse 16, now the 11 disciples, why 11 disciples? There were 12, why 11? Because Judah had already killed himself. It's no longer here after the resurrection. They went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. The Jesus who directed them was the resurrected Jesus told them that you should meet me at that mountain. And when they got there, the Bible said, verse 17, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. They worshipped him. And uh, when Matthew's writing this to Jews, he knows that this is a critical statement, this is an important statement, because only God can be worshipped. So, therefore, he is telling them that he is God, he is the Son of God, he is God. So, that is why the disciples freely worshiped him, although some of them doubted, because of that fleshly. Nature that we have, and I'm always doubt ling- lingering in the background, and uh, you know, wondering whether this is all—is is it real? Is it true? Is it really him? And then Jesus makes a statement that is r- really uh, uh, stunning, and and uh, and and this coming from Matthew is very very important and draw our, our attention. Uh, attention to inquire a little more about what he's saying here because he wrote, "And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Did you hear that? All authority in heaven and on earth' has been given to me. And obviously, this is going way beyond the agenda that Matthew had set, set out to communicate to them that he is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, about the King, and now Jesus is saying that all authority, not only in uh, in uh, Jerusalem, not only in Judea, but in uh, heaven and on earth, has been given to me. And go therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, uh, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the the age. So clearly, here we see the relationship between verse eighteen and verse nineteen, and the relationship is causal. Because of this, because of the fact that all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, go. Go and make disciples. So meaning clearly that the commission, the great commission as we call it, verse 19, to go and make disciples of all nations, draw its significance draw its justification draw its power from verse 18 all authority has in heaven and on earth has been given to me and uh, this morning that's why I'm saying that you know, Christ is the foundation of the great commission and if we understand him being the foundation the justification and therefore, doing, um, uh, doing uh, the Great Commission, going out there uh, to preach the gospel and uh, make disciples will be much easier for us and, uh, and a much joyful thing to do rather than one of those things that we need to do in the church to preach the gospel. And um, I want to spend a lot more time on that statement, to show us that you know here really uh, Matthew is moving from uh, an ethnic king that he has been presenting to Israel all along throughout the book to a universal king. The Jesus is not only the king of Israel; is not only the king of Jews; is the king of the whole world our entire universe and that is a good news for us that is a good news for us to have a king such as Jesus how do I know that because the text says it verse 18 all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me he is the authority in heaven he is the authority on earth and that reminds me of Psalm 115 verse 3 where the the psalmist says our God is in heaven's it does all that it pleases. He is in heaven and it he does all that it pleases. And that is the good news behind the good news. That is the good news in the gospel. That's the gospel in the gospel. And it's going to become very clear in a little bit as I proceed. In Psalm 135, verse 6. The Bible says, whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. This is a powerful statement indeed. Jesus saying that all authority has been given to me. Not only is uh, uh, stating implicitly that he is equal to God who reigns in heaven and on earth, he does all he pleases. But also... The statement is theologically loaded. is loaded with a meaning about who God is and what God does. It is so powerful, this statement, that we need to pause a little bit and consider it clear, uh, clear, uh, carefully. It is a, a statement with the history behind it. It didn't just say it. For the sake of it there's a history behind it and it is important for us because that history is the history of the revelation of the uh, uh, i mean the history of biblical revelation as we can tell, the Bible is not a collection of stories. Story of Adam, story of uh, Cain, uh, story of Abel, story of uh, Noah, story of uh, David, uh, of Moses. And then you choose and pick the story that fits best in, for, uh, in your situation or context and uh, run with it. That's not what the Bible is showing us. The Bible is one single story from, one, uh, from Genesis to, to Revelation. And that story is about God. It's about God. And this statement that Jesus is making, all the authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, is actually a, a compacted way of telling that, that story. And therefore, it becomes the foundation of the work of redemption it is the foundation of the gospel. It is the reason why we preach, teach, and make disciples. It is the background of the gospel and discipleship making. It is the reason why we partner with each other in the ministry. It is the reason why we are in a great collective um. Commission. It is a reason why we are partnering to go and preach the gospel in Congo and anywhere else for that matter. This very statement. And the discipleship or mission or Great Commission can be properly understood when we understand the meaning of this statement. All authority in heaven and on earth. Has been given to me. We do not do missions or discipleship because it is our gift. It's no one else? Is no one's gift? It's not your gift to do a mission, to do mission, to disciple people. It's not your gift. So as to say that it's your gift, it's not my gift. So I'm not going to do it. So it's not anyone's gift. It is. It is. It is one of the thing it is not one of the things that Jesus said that we should do. So that's why this morning I'm emphasizing on that so that you know go therefore and make disciples of all nations should not appear to us as one of the things that Jesus asked us to do. It's not one of them. Is the only thing Christians we, we, we're not doing missions or discipleship because Christians need it or it would make them stronger. You know, the, the church, to be stronger, needs to get involved in discipleship. We have to disciple people. That's true, but that's not the reason why we're doing it. Yes, some would say, yeah, uh, discipleship will help Christians live a better Christian life. It will help them raise their children in a way that, it, that glorifies God in this, uh, um, given the magnitude of evil that surrounds us in our community nowadays. We don't get involved in missions or discipleship because our budget has a surplus. We've got so much money lingering around. What do we do? It? So let's send it to Congo. That's not the reason why we don't mission. Some people, or maybe some people, are suffering so much in in, uh, India or in uh, Congo. So we have life; life is a little bit better here in Canada. So let's think about other people so that we can help them. That's not the reason why we're doing the ministry, and that's not the reason why we're doing discipleship and mission. Or maybe I have lost my job. Let me do mission now. I've been kicked out of my job and uh, let me go to Congo so I can go and preach and uh, lead a lot of people to Christ now that I no longer have a job to do. That's not one of the reasons why we get involved in the ministry. And it's important for us because a lot of people do ministry for that purpose. The only problem with this list of things that I've just uh Presented to you is that none of them, <laughs> none of these reasons will make you die for mission or discipleship. None of them. But verse 18 will make you die for missions and for discipleship. And that is. All authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Let me therefore unpack it a little bit so that we understand what is, what's in it. When Jesus says all authority has been given to me. Notice that the verb given is in perfect tense, has been given to me, has been given to me. The perfect tense describes an action that took uh, take place in the recent past and with the result felt in the present. So clearly when Jesus is talking about his authority is referring to something that just happened recently with the result being felt in the present. That is his crucifixion and the resurrection through the crucifixion of Jesus. So Jesus is saying that his crucifixion and resurrection has functioned as a way for him to get back the authority. Or maybe maybe I should say it's a means by which he got back the authority uh, in heaven and on earth. Yes. When uh, we... Uh, read Matthew chapter 4. We're learning that when Jesus was being tempted by the devil, and the devil took him up there at the very high point and showed him all the kingdom of the earth and said to him, You know, if you just bow before me and worship me a little bit, I'm going to give you all the power and all the kingdoms of the earth and Jesus told them that it is written you shall worship the Lord your God only so clearly the, what was at stake in this fight in this temptation between Jesus and the devil was the control of the earth the control of humanity and Jesus said that I'm not going to get it from you <laughs> I'm not going to get it from you so he refused the, 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 the offer that the devil had put to him. And, uh, but that's, that issue of control, of control of the kingdom of the earth, really can be traced back to, the, to Genesis chapter 3, that is the fall of human beings. Remember chapter 2, God had created man in uh, created them man and woman uh, in his own image and likeness and gave them authority over the earth and said, and multiply and fill the earth and have dominion over animals and everything. And through the, the, the temptation of the devil and a man lost that control and the devil took it away from him And started dominating over humanity. And we all know today what that means. All the crimes, all the sins, and everything that we complain about in this human life. But saying that the devil had uh, defeated or had uh, tempted men and... uh, Uh, deceived him and took away the power that was given to him by God is not really uh, solving all the problem that we have in Genesis chapter 3 and much less in the entire biblical revelation and that is how come that God is God he created heaven and earth and everything and finally eventually created man in his own uh, image and likeness and that's man will not fulfill what God had asked him, instructed him to do. So how can God be God? Be the almighty that he is and he will set out to do something, to fulfill something and he wanted to do it with men, fill the earth with uh, uh, people Image god bear, image bearing people and God will fail to do that because Satan came around and tempted man and deceived man that poses a problem not not, not for us as human beings but for for God because in the uh, in the In the story of creation, we see the first day how he, he speaks things come into existence the second day, the third, the fourth until the sixth when he created man and uh, uh, a and woman and what he had said didn't happen that creates a problem as far as the authority of God that becomes questionable how, how come that you are God and what you say does not take place. Isaiah chapter 46 verse 8 and uh, 11 would help us uh, catch what I'm trying to communicate here. Isaiah chapter 46 46 All my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east. The man of counsel from a far country. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. That's a powerful language. That's a powerful language. That tells us. That basically becomes a definition of God. Who is God? is God is the one who says something from the beginning way before it happens and it does happen. Who is God? God is the one who uh, uh, come up with a counsel and accomplish all his purpose. God is the one who called a bird of prey from the east. And the man of, of his counsel from a far country. God is the one who speaks. And it will bring it to pass. He has purposed it. And he will do it. And when we reach Genesis chapter 3. Man to whom God had said. Multiply fill the earth. In other words, because man was created in the image and likeness of God, filling the earth means filling the earth with the image of God and therefore filling the earth with the glory of God. That's what it means. And now, in Genesis chapter 3, the devil comes around and deceives man and all that does not happen. This is a challenge to God, to his authority, but also to his reputation. I should say to his glory, and I should even say to his definition. And But the good news is that as God showed up that evening talking to Adam and Eve after they had committed sin, In Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 God will give a prophecy, will give a good news in the midst of uh, this distressful situation, this uh, sad situation of a fall and sin and rebellion against God. He will say that to the serpent that the the offspring of a woman shall uh, crush your head, you'll bruise his heel. And that's is the announcement of the gospel or the good news. But the good news about what? The good news not just about us because we're going to be redeemed from our sinful nature, from our rebellion, and be brought back to God. But good news because what matters the most is not what God does for us. What matters the most is not how God protects us, uh, f- uh, provides for us, and uh, eventually saves us. What matters the most is uh, the future of God. What matters the most is whether this God that is, who is saving us today... Is he not going to encounter another situation in the future where his plan, his will will not be fulfilled for one reason or the other? The problem, the, the good news in the, in the gospel is not just that God is blessing us, is bringing us back to himself, but the good news is this is that. This God who is saving us. Is really God. That is what he says. He shall be fulfilled. And there's not going to be anything. Either now or in the future. That will be able to compromise. What he said that he will do. The good news. The foundation of the good news. Is. Is. This redemptive plan that God is uh, putting in place. Why? To justify himself. Why? To glorify himself. Why? To give us a basis upon which we shall rest and put our faith so that after he had saved us, we can continue trusting him and believing in him because of who he is. Not only because of what he does, but because what he does emerges from who he is. If he's not reliable, if he can be contradicted, if he can be challenged, there's no reason why to believe in him for tomorrow. There's no reason why to trust him. That if he doesn't have a future, if we learn tomorrow morning, Monday morning, that God had a stroke. All our hope is gone. No matter how much he has been blessed you with. He has given you a husband. He has given you a wife. Wonderful children. One powerful ministry. He has provided for you. He saved you when you were stuck. When you were in the hospital. You prayed unto him. Pastor Chris showed up. You guys prayed. And the Lord stretched his hand and healed you. All that will matter less. That is why what Jesus is saying here in this text that all authority has been given unto me in heaven on earth becomes the basis for us to do ministry and to believe in him. That is why what I wanted to share with you is to realize that the authority that Jesus Christ is claiming here is something that we need uh, to understand uh, very well in order to engage in ministry more effectively. Because The victory of Jesus over the power of evil is a proof that what happened in the Garden of Eden did not put an end to his power, ability. That what happened in the Garden of Eden, the fall of man, was allowed and permitted by God so that through that we can be able to realize how trustworthy our God is. That we can rely on him. Remember, we only have up to 120 years to live on earth. And after that, we have a long life and a career with God. And he has provided the redemption in Christ so that we can have the basis to believe that beyond this life, there is a reason to be hopeful, to be joyful, not because of what he gives us, but because of who he is. He is almighty. He does what he pleases in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. We have a longer relationship, a longer life to live with God than what we are living down here. And what Matthew is saying that, I mean, when Jesus is saying that, therefore, because of that, because I have demonstrated through the work of redemption, that the opposition that was um, demonstrated in uh, the Garden of Eden did not change me. I still have those power in heaven and on Earth. Therefore, you can go and do ministry. You can go and make disciples. In saying that, Jesus is also emphasizing the fact that he's putting himself in sharp contrast with, uh, with Adam. Adam received uh, the commission to fill the earth, to reveal the glory of God, but he failed to do so. But this Adam, this second Adam, this Jesus who came, who took upon himself the human flesh, is different from that Adam we can trust him and we can go and do exactly what God is requiring us to do because he provides all the authority and the power and the ability to do that to the such that nothing can compromise This great mission that he has given us. And that mission is to make people become disciples. What kind of people? The Bible says, the Lord Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. Matthew had endeavored to. Talk, I mean to give the message to uh, Jews, uh, Jews about Jesus being their king. And yes indeed he is the king of Jews. But the good news for us is that Matthew ends with a note of a universal kingdom. Where all of us who are not Jews cannot partake, can be part of this kingdom. We can... Uh, be associated with uh, uh, this kingdom and enjoy the blessing of the king because of Christ. So therefore, we should go. Therefore, we should go. We have no other excuses because by saying therefore go, it means that he's guaranteeing the success of what he's asking us to do. He's guaranteeing it because he's different from the first Adam. Because he's saying that all authority, Adam, the authority was given to him on earth. But Jesus, his authority is in heaven and on earth. He has a comprehensive authority. And therefore, he cannot fail to help us. That is why is actually even verse 20 saying that, behold, I am with you every day. I am with you he is with us and him being with us we shall prevail we shall succeed in going so therefore we are not going as people are trying to see if it's going to work out or not we're not trying we're going sure guaranteed but the one holds all the power in heaven and on earth that is going to work out that's why i want to go to congo That's why I want to go to Congo. The reason why I want to leave uh, my kids and take my wife back to Congo is because Jesus has all authority and he has guaranteed us that it's going to work. And guess what? This is exactly what the world does not like. They don't want an authority is who is over everything and everybody. They don't want that. They say they are postmodern people. They say that the truth is relative. They say that the truth there's no such a thing I mean the truth is not absolute. But Jesus here has an absolute authority and what he's saying is an absolute truth. And therefore, we shall go and go together. Go toward the nations. Go toward the unknown. Go toward the people that we don't know. It is no wonder that when the disciples started obeying this uh, 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 commission, they were persecuted. But what made me wonder why they faced persecution and uh, they continue preaching, I realized is because they understood what Jesus said. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And meaning that if we lose what we have now, if we lose what we have now, we have Him who is eternal, who owns more than we can own, more than our homes, our liberty, our freedom, our medical insurance, our jobs and everything that we have, our health. He owns more than that. So therefore, by obeying him, submitting ourselves to him, and going as he requested us to do, we have more than we can possibly accumulate for ourselves. And therefore, that motivates us to lose even our lives. In the year 2000, 2000, I left my country with my wife. Um, And we moved to Kenya, Nairobi, Kenya. I was going there because I wanted to pursue uh, education in um, theology. I was so convinced that God had called me, because, you know, I met Jesus when I was 15 years old, uh, in a school context, and I started serving the Lord. I was so zealous and passionate about Jesus in the, uh, in the, in the church, until I, uh, <clears throat> I reached the age of 30, and then uh, after my marriage, my wife and I we decided to go to Kenya to study. We spent three years there, and we, go, we went there. With $600 in our pocket. The tuition was $2,000 per semester. And we believed God. I had no church backup behind me. My church was so poor they could not afford to commit themselves to supporting me. But because I knew that for the church in Africa... And particularly in the Congo, to be strong and to continue doing this work of discipleship, people need to be taught. We need to have servants who are equipped and well-equipped. So I decided to move there with my wife. We got there after a week. We only After a week, after spending a little bit of money to get the necessary stuff for the, for the house, the, uh, the school had given us a scholarship for the, uh, the house. They gave us um, a two bedroom uh, house where we were staying. We were only left with $50, and there was no money. And I remember that first quarter, the school had paid, uh, first semester, the school had paid for, for, for me. But for the second semester, I had no money. At the end of that semester, my one of my uh, professors uh, evangelism professor came up to me and said baron uh, i'd like you to visit with me uh, during over the uh, christmas break i said okay fine and toward the end of the christmas break i went there i took my wife her and i we went there and um uh visit with them at the end of our visit he asked us uh did you register for the next semester i said no why i said i don't have money So you mean that you don't have a church behind you or anything, organization supporting you? I was like, yeah, no, I don't have any. How did you make it here? I said, I just trusted God. I believe the Lord for this, and it provided left and right, and here we are. Because I believe so passionately about the future of the church, and I think that it was important for me to come and be trained and go back to home and serve. And then he will deliver one of the sweetest news <laughs> to me. he say, there's a friend of mine in the U.S. who asked me to find a student on the campus that he can support every, every year. Would you be willing to be supported by him? I say, of course. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Why? Because there are people who know Who understand the great commission. Who understand that the great commission is about being part of a kingdom. The kingdom of Christ. And therefore, what they own is not for themselves. It's for the kingdom. And then uh, year after year, we went from miracle to miracle like that. And God was just providing it is now that, and I, as I probe these scriptures, that I understand that the reason why God has been providing, was providing for me, is because of the, his kingdom. And he wanted to make disciples. And after three years, we moved from there, from uh, Kenya to, uh, to, uh, to Seattle. And the moment we were moving, we didn't have, even have money to pay for the visa. We had applied for the visa, no money for the visa, no money for the, the air ticket. And then the day of a visa interview at a American Embassy in Nairobi, they just told me that, oh yeah, you are approved, but we can't give you the visa now. I'm like, why? Oh, no, because, um, You are Congolese, so Congolese people, we don't give them a visa, student visa beyond a month. So if I give it to you today, it's going to expire before you travel. So, and anyway, I didn't have money to pay that day. So I went back home and then I checked my email. I saw a friend of mine from Rwanda send me a message. we were we have a conference here. We've been waiting for... uh, 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 the main speaker to come uh, to give us the final uh, his final words. Uh, he said that he's not going to make it. Can you get into a plane tomorrow? And you're going to be the first speaker on Monday. I like yes. Let me go. And then I went there. I spent forty days in Rwanda. I was preaching almost every day, every year, going from town to town, city to city. And I went to Eastern Congo and Goma and those places. And after 40 days, I had enough to pay for the visa and to pay for the air ticket. The Lord provided. And then I moved with my family. We got to the U.S. in the Seattle area. This was a new place. We're not used to weather and all that. And uh, I was there to start a Ph.D. program in New Testament. So I started with uh, what we call the THM which is a research master's as well. So, um, after a year, I was so sick to death. I went through surgery, through a lot of complications. I went into depression as well. I was on medication for so many years. And uh, it became obvious for me that the dream for Congo is gone. Uh, So, what, what, what am I going to do now? So, I decided, okay, I told my wife, let's go to school. Let's start over. You go to nursing, and I'm going to do uh, business uh, uh, public affairs at the University of Washington. Since I have a bachelor's degree, I can be accepted uh, into a master's program. So I went there, completed the program, and my wife completed the program as well. And uh, uh, in the meantime, we decided that, hey, we're going to continue preaching the gospel what we're we going to do we started a bible study in our home that we turned into a church plant we planted a church uh and uh we started that way and the church has been around for the last uh, uh 16 years and we got so comfortable in america that we felt like you know when my wife and I completed school we felt like yeah, this was a time for us to start working. She would work two shifts, whatever, and I'll work there. We will get yeah, we can put twenty thousand dollars a month uh, easily, and then we start living and live here for the rest of our lives. And until in 2017, when I got my job, the job where I was, you know, confirmed that you know this is the I was a grant administrator in uh, at the University of Washington. And after six months, long story short, after six months, they dismissed me. They're like, oh no, we, we, you, you're not a good fit for this position. What? Not a good fit? This is a grant management. This is what I did in school. I went to University of Washington, with, and that program is the fifth program in the nation in terms of public, public, public administration how come that you would say that I'm not fit for this position? So I was so sick and um, so depressed. I couldn't believe it. And we remember 2017 was uh, a year um, uh, when we were celebrating the 500th anniversary of uh, the Protestant Reformation. And uh, all of a sudden, the Lord put in my heart to uh, organize a conference back in the Congo where I will challenge people to get back to the gospel. Because in the meantime, you know, I was coming from a background of a charismatic background. You know, prosperity gospel, gospel, um, deliverance gospel because those are the emphasis that are you know, in, 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 in the church in the Congo. So, I was so depressed. I, I felt depressed when I was in, in the U.S. the first three years because I thought that when I would get to the U.S., my life will be just, will get so better and um, I'll be happy. And, and, and I realized that there's no such a thing as that happiness happening to me. And that's where God started talking to me, and uh, I met John Piper (laughs) online. (laughs) He's preaching, and I sat under the preaching of John Piper and all these Reformed theologians that completely changed my view and my way of looking at the gospel. It is that moment when I got dismissed from from my work and uh, decided to go back to all the conference that I realized that this is what God wanted me to do. God had blocked all these ways for me so that I can go back and preach to my people. I went there in 2018. At the beginning, we had a conference. We had 1,500 pastors who showed up, preached to them. At the end, they asked me, What do we do now? I was like, Okay, we're going to start a ministry, we're going to start a school. I'm going to be teaching you. So that same year was in February. I got back there in the September of, uh, uh, of the same year, and we had the first cohorts of our training. That's how our ministry started. We had 157 people who showed up, taught them the gospel, and they were so excited. And the next year, we had 700 people and started snowballing. And in the neighboring Congo, because there are two Congos in Africa, there's a Brazzaville and Kinshasa. And there was a guy who, came, who had come from Bra- Brazzaville, and uh, he said, why don't we go to Brazzaville as well, And uh, so you can teach the same thing. So we went there in November of 2018, and we had 137 people, pastors mainly. We taught them the gospel. They were excited about it. And then... Uh, 2019, we had scheduled to start a new court. Unfortunately, the COVID hit, and when the COVID hit, it slowed down everything. But in the meantime, we were trying to um, gather smaller, smaller group of people. It was really difficult and challenging until the COVID thing went away. I mean, the restrictions went away, and uh, we started back up and uh, and, uh, now we are seeing people uh, the momentum returning and people coming and uh, we realized quickly that we cannot just do Bible study we need to do church planting as well because a lot of people are unable to go back to their prosperity churches they say where are we going to go now say okay come back here we are going to start a new movement of church planting and uh, lead uh, uh, and build more churches. And thankfully, most of them are my students. I've trained them so they are ready. We have about uh, 60 people in our co-group. This last uh, two weeks, three weeks, I was in Congo. And we had another conference there. And uh, 10 more people uh, are willing to come and join our co-group. And the number is adding up, is growing. And we are praising God about it. And we want to do what we want to do in the Congo is uh, that Bible school. We want to do church planting. We want to do literature distribution. That means for us to have an equipment to print out books. I met a wonderful guy here called uh, uh, Daniel Henderson in Montreal. Uh, he does exactly what we were dreaming of doing. He takes those healthy and wonderful books or theological books. Uh, he translates them in French. And uh, he, distrib- he sells them. So now we, we are partnering with him so that we can ha- buy an equipment in Congo so we can print, print out those books and put good books in the hands of pastors and Christians in Congo. The fourth thing that we're trying to do is uh, humanitarian, trying to help men, uh, I mean, women and children. Children, as far as school is concerned sending them back to school. You know, Congo is uh, uh, it had a, um, I mean, it's a war-torn country, so to speak. The Eastern Congo is still uh, experiencing unrest because of military conflict. So a lot of children who lost their parents and all that, they need help to go back to school, and uh, we want to help them. And we want to help women as well to empower them so that they can become autonomous. Uh, those who are not married so that they can be able to help themselves. And lastly, we'll, uh, <clears throat> we want to um, have every year an annual conference of reformation where we will gather people and uh, teach about the gospel and the necessity of returning to the biblical contours of the gospel and that's the passion that i have now and amazingly god through gcc connected me to pastor chris and the elders of this church who said yes we like that vision we like to stand behind you and uh we want to change people's heart. I mean, people's lives through the preaching of the gospel and discipling them into the likeness of Christ. And uh, for us to do that, we need to realize that all power in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus Christ. Now, the question to you is: Are you gonna submit to the King Jesus? So that together we can do it? Or are you, like your ancestor Adam, gonna say, No, I wanna do my own thing. I know what I want. I wanna do my way. Or are we gonna do it together? And it is my pitch to you, it is my challenge to you that you would consider praying for me with my family. This is very hard. Life is very tough in the Congo. I've been going there for the last four years. Out of pocket spending my own money. We have emptied all our savings. I had a challenge with my wife. Convincing her that this is what God wants. But thank God the King Jesus has done what I couldn't do. To convince her that we need to do it. And she's on board. And that's a good news for me. And I'm ready to go. And uh, the question is, are you going to come with me? Let's bow ahead and pray. Father God, thank you so much. Christ is the foundation of the Great Commission. We're not doing it because it's our gift. We're not doing it because we have so much money. We're not doing it because uh, we've now retired. We have nothing else to do. We're not doing it because uh, if we do it, you're going to bless us. We're not doing this for the blessing. We are doing this for you, Lord. Because everything was created through you and for you, Lord Jesus Christ. And now through the gospel, you have taken back all your power and authority. And we want to align ourselves behind you, King Jesus, and submit to you Give allegiance to you and go with you because you say that I will be with you every day until the end of the age. Thank you for being with us. We're not doing this alone. I'm not not going to Congo alone. And now I'm going with all these brethren and brothers and sisters in Christ in this church who have committed their lives to you, Lord, so that we can take others back to you. Thank you so much, Lord. Fill our heart with the passion and the desire to serve you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.